helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Welcome back to another episode of the Life Transformation Show. We will dive into some fascinating concepts found in Exodus 20, 17, and it reads... You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's explore the intricate workings of envy, gratitude, self-esteem, and contentment. Michael, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Denise. I am so thrilled to be here and to discuss these thought-provoking psychological concepts found in this simple Bible verse. And it's from one of the commandments of God, one of the Ten Commandments. And I guess, Denise, before we go deeper into this, we need to translate this into modern day language because many people will be listening and say, well, I I don't fall into that trap because I have no donkeys and my neighbor has no donkeys. So I know that I'm hitting that commandment out of the park. So to begin with, when the Bible speaks of your neighbor's uh, ox and donkey. That would be the equivalent of your neighbor's Mercedes Benz today. Uh, Donkeys and oxes were means of transportation. And so it would be like saying today, if your neighbor has a nicer car than you have, don't covet that neighbor's car. The other parts are fairly self-explanatory because it talks about not coveting your neighbor's wife. So if your neighbor's wife looks like she could be on the the cover of Vogue magazine or she could win some beauty contest, the Bible is saying, don't think of what of your wife as being any less than your neighbor's wife. And a lot of time, it's a, it's a mindset where we think that the grass is greener on the other side. So we might have the wife that looks very beautiful and all of that, but we just see, seem to think that what the other person has is better. So Exodus 20.17 explains that we are not to covet our, our neighbor's wife, we are not to covet their male and female servant, and that part of it may need some explanation as well, because that would, would, would be like today, your neighbor's employees. If your neighbors have a business and his business is doing better or her business is doing better than yours, the Bible is saying, don't covet your neighbor's business success. And then it goes on to say, or anything that your neighbors have. And so in this simple verse, it is covering every aspect of success or of life that you can think of. And it is saying, we should not covet what other people have. Excellent, Michael. Now, envy and social comparison can really mess with our minds, right? It's like being caught in a never-ending competition. Can you shed some light on how envy impacts our mental well-being? I think envy started in the Garden of Eden. We see that when the, the brothers offered their sacrifices to God, 
and uh, Cain became envious of Abel's sacrifice. And right there, there's a social comparison that's taking place. Cain is looking at what Abel has and is going, or looking at Abel's success and is saying, wow, what about me? He seems to be getting ahead in life. Why couldn't that be me? And in the final analysis of that episode in in the book of Genesis, it wasn't so much Cain's sacrifice or the quality of Cain's sacrifice that led to his demise. It was his envy of Abel and the anger that developed in his heart as a result of his brother's success. So, Envy involves this longing for what others possess and this feeling of discontentment with your own circumstances. You know, it's that feeling of dissatisfaction you get when your friends shows off their shiny new car and suddenly your five-year-old car seems like a relic from the Stone Age and you find yourself browsing the internet looking for new car, even though the one that you have is working perfectly. That's what social comparison does. Envy, it's like being in this never-ending competition where you're constantly comparing your life to others and we become consumed with the standard of others like Cain became consumed with the success of Abel. And as a result of that, we sacrifice our peace, our joy, and our authenticity on the altar of envy as our self-loathing grows like an insatiable beast within us. And this can lead to negative emotions such as bitterness, and resentment. You find yourself scrolling through social media, seeing picture-perfect lives and incredible achievements while you are just sitting there on your couch in your mismatched socks eating a bag of chips and you suddenly think to yourself, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be with them, be like them? And suddenly you are convinced that everyone else is getting ahead in life. And you are not. That's not any way for anyone to live. You know, it must be agonizing to live like that. So, Michael, is there any other scriptures that shed light on this topic? You know, Dennis, my mind goes to the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians, where he warns them against destructive effects, the destructive effects of envy and stress. And in in Galatians 5.26, Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So Paul is placing the emphasis here on, on both sides. He's saying those who have things should not flaunt it in a way where they're acting conceited and where they're provoking others. And I think a lot of what goes on in social media is a way of provoking other people because there, there, there are people who 
put this image on as if their family is perfect, their husband is perfect, their children are perfect. And then when you look at how, how they're talking on social media about their family or the pictures that they're posting, you leave their envying because you're thinking, why couldn't my life just be like theirs? And so the Apostle Paul encourages us not to, not to envy, but also encourage others not to become conceited in how they flaunt the things that they have or the success that they have. The Bible is always right, Michael. That scripture that says we should be contented in whatever state we are in, you know, is so correct. And that's what we should live by. And we have to be contented in what we are. As Oscar Wilde once said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. (laughs) And so I'm just encouraging you there to don't try to be like your neighbor. Don't try to be like your friend. Just be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Oh, so agree. I agree with that, Michael. And as you read that opening scripture from Exodus, I think it is a strong warning for us not to fall into trap of our materialistic world that seek to make us feel we need more to be happy. Absolutely. So when God gives us these commandments, it's not because God is a killjoy. God is not saying we shouldn't want something better or something beautiful, but he's warning us of the trap of falling into this state where we think that if we just have more, if we have things like our neighbors have, we would be happy. If we had the the shiny car or the big business, we would be happy. Materialism is this belief that acquiring possessions and wealth is the ultimate goal in life and that this will make you happy. But that's not the truth because there are psychological research that shows that as your as a person's level of happiness of materialism goes up that they tend to become more unhappy with life and there are some limits to that so what the studies show is that up to a certain point you need to have material things to provide for your basic needs in life and to live a comfortable life but they're saying that after a certain point there is no return on material possessions as a matter of fact, as people begin to become greedy and accumulate more and more seeking after that elusive bliss that they think that they will have from materialism, that this is like chasing after uh, after a mirage in the desert and they only find themselves feeling empty and unfulfilled. So both psychological research and biblical wisdom reveal that materialism is like a wolf in sheep's clothing that brings not joy but a fading facade of well-being accompanied by a chorus of negative emotions such as depression, sadness, anxiety. And its trap is like a seductive illusion that blinds us from the genuine sources of happiness that we can find in God. So this passage in Exodus 20.17 is warning us that we should not fall into that 
trap. And Jesus warned us, Michael, against materialism in his teachings, telling the disciples not to store up treasures of this world. Is there any other teaching of Jesus that comes to mind? My mind also goes to Luke twelve fifteen, where Jesus lovingly warns his disciples to watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And he goes on to say that a person's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions that they have. So Jesus in his infinite wisdom recognizes that true happiness and fulfillment come not from your wealth, but from cultivating spiritual wealth instead of material possession. So, Can you share with us any knowledge you may have about what psychological research says about materialism and happiness? Yes, a research, psychological research supports Jesus' teaching. And and as a psychotherapist who is also a practicing believer that is very involved in in Christian circles, I like to be able to see this, 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 supporting of biblical references by psychological research, because I think that when there is true knowledge, it doesn't contradict biblical principles. So psychological research supports Jesus' thinking or his teachings, showing that happiness and life satisfaction are rooted in factors such as meaningful relationships, personal growth, and a sense of purpose. So material possessions may provide temporary pleasure, but they do not nourish the soul in the long run. Many of us have these existential questions that we have, like, why am I here? Where am I going after this life is over? And we have this sense that this life is not it, that the material side of thing is not the, the, the not the, the life that will last. And so many people are consciously or subconsciously seeking for more. And that more is not found in materialism. And that's why Jesus in the commandments is warning us against that, because the tendency is to mistake that emptiness that you feel inside, that emptiness for the spiritual, that void that you feel that something is missing. Many people will mistake that to think that what I need is just the shiny car, the bigger house, or a prettier wife. And so these things will never satisfy. And that's why I think... The, the Bible has that as, as one of the commandments. Abraham Maslow stated, it's normal to know what we want, but it is rare and a difficult psychological achievement. So true happiness lies in the intangible things, the moments of connection, the growth of character, and the pursuit of higher purpose, not in amassing more 
and more. And I think also of the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 and 7, where he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So true, Michael. We can take nothing out of it. (laughs) Michael, in today's society, social media makes it hard not to compare ourselves to others. You know, you look at Facebook and you see pictures of a friend and their family on a luxury boat in the Caribbean, looking like they are one big happy family and having the time of their life. While you have just finished shoveling the snow from your driveway or just had an argument with your husband or your wife. In situations like these, it is hard not to feel discontented with your life and wish your family was like that of your friend. Can you talk about discontent? and how to overcome it. That's such a good picture you painted there, that is that a comparison between being on a luxury boat in the Caribbean and being in your driveway shoveling snow in the cold winter or having a fight with your spouse. And I think a lot of times when we we make this kind of comparisons with ourselves, we should first of all realize that it's a false comparison because that picture that you're seeing does not... Uh, do justice or paint a, 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 an accurate picture of the quality of life that your friend is living. Anyone can capture a happy moment in a picture and post it on Facebook, but that doesn't mean that the reality of their life is that they're living in this bliss and they're always happy. So the first thing to realize is that often what you see on Facebook is a mirage. It's not true. It's 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 a fiction. And you should not begin to to envy people just because of what they, they post, because this will lead to discontentment. So envy and covetousness often stem from a sense of discontentment with, with your personal current situation. And the, the verse in Exodus 20 is encouraging us as individuals to not be envious, but to cultivate gratitude for what we have rather than envying or desiring what others have. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been using Exodus 20 verse 17 to speak on the topic, the effects of envy. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Your donations help us to stay on the air and to provide subsidized counseling to those who can't afford it. Back to Michael. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. So discontentment and gratitude are these two opposing forces that shape our well-being. Envy and covetousness can imprison the heart, leaving us perpetually unsatisfied. However, if we develop gratitude, gratitude is like this key of liberation, unlocking 
the world of, of content and happiness, whereas envy and covetousness uh, will cause us to sink deeper and deeper into despair and discontent. And so the verse is reminding us that as individuals, we are to shift our focus from envying our neighbors to having gratitude for what we possess. Again, you mentioned gratitude, Michael. I've often heard you speak about the importance of gratitude in your seminars. So can you elaborate a bit for the listeners on what psychological research tells us about gratitude? Research suggests that gratitude may be associated with many benefits for individuals. This include better physical and psychological health, increased happiness and life satisfaction, decreased materialism, and more. Other studies also suggest that a more great, as people become more grateful, they become healthier. And other s- studies suggest that as a person increase their, their gratitude, they also become healthier in many other areas of life and they develop healthier habits as well. And many more studies have examined a possible connection between gratitude and various elements of psychological well-being. So in general, uh, in a nutshell, what these studies are showing that the more grateful a person is, the, the, the happier they will be and the less materialistic they become. So if you want to overcome the envy trap, try to become more grateful for what you already have. And as a result of this, the studies also show that you will, uh, you, people who have gratitude for what they have suffer less from burnout as well. A thankful heart is always better, Michael. So what are some of the things that listeners can begin to do to cultivate uh, gratitude in their lives? Yes, I think that's a very good question. That is, we get to the practical side of the show. And, and I think it, it's important to remember that, you know, everything takes time and, and it takes practice to achieve the result. Some studies have found that gratitude practices like keeping a gratitude journal or writing a letter of gratitude can increase a person's happiness and overall positive mood. Another thing that I find helpful that I, I, I suggest to my clients who, who are Christians and who practice faith is that you should start your day with a gratitude prayer. Start your day by thank, thanking God for 10 things in your life. And that might sound like a lot, but you might be saying to yourself, I don't have 10 things that I can be thankful for. But if you sit and begin to think about the things that you have in your life, I'm sure you could come up with 20 very easily. So gratitude may also benefit people in a number of medical ways and psychological ways as well. For example, one study found that the more grateful cardiac patients reported better sleep, less fatigue, and lower levels of cellular inflammation. So this is even at the cell level, they're finding that people or gratitude has less inflammation in their cells. In their cells. Another uh, study found that heart failure patients who kept a gratitude journal for 
eight weeks. And this is what I referred to earlier when I said it's not a quick fix like you do a gratitude journal one day and it's magical to fix everything in your life. The study found that patients who kept a gratitude journal for eight weeks, that they were more grateful and had reduced signs of inflammation afterwards. So this is very powerful stuff. And the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians provides a powerful example when he said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. And so, in whatever circumstances you are, you can find something in that circumstance to be thankful for. So, Michael, what I'm hearing you're saying is that gratitude and contentment is basically a mindset that uh, we have to develop and be conscious of. Uh, is that correct? Yes, that's that's very correct. It's a mindset that you have to practice as well, because it doesn't your mindset from envy doesn't change overnight. You have to force yourself to think about the things that you have that you can be happy about. Oh, excellent. So we definitely have to train our minds to cultivate uh, that gratitude. Uh, let's move on to um, another part of uh, our show. Is there a correlation between envy and low self-esteem? That's a very good question, Denise. And what I find in my practice is that many people who suffer from low self-esteem tend to think that others are better than they are. And so there is a, a correlation between envy because the fact that they're thinking that others are, are better than they are or that they wish that their life was like others is a form of envy. And I think it is directly related to their low self-esteem. Yes. And what uh, does the psychological studies say about envy and low self-esteem? So numerous studies in psychology have explored the relationship between envy and self-esteem and provides empirical evidence to support the idea that I have just explained that envy can erode a person's self-esteem. But one study in particular found that people who uh who, who envied tended to have feelings of inferiority that arise from envy and that this can affect a person's sense of self-worth and their value in life. So just think about that. Just by envying another person, you're affecting your self-worth and your perceived value. So to overcome that, researchers have suggested that we should base our our self-esteem, not on what others have, but on internal standards, what we have in life that we can be thankful for, uh, and uh, on our values and our self-acceptance rather than on external comparisons. As we come to the end of the show, Michael, how can we use scriptures and our faith in general to develop a healthy self-esteem? And I think this is important for us to tie this in. We've already looked at a number of scriptures, but I think a scripture that comes to mind to help with our self-esteem and to help us overcome envy is Psalm 139 verse 13, where the psalmist says, For you created my 
inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And what this is saying is that we're not an accident. Our life is not, is not chaotic or something that is just happening by chance. God is in control. God knows everything that you have and where you are in life. As you talk, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And you have proven that point. And that concludes today's insightful episode of the Life Transformation Show. Remember, Life Transformation Show airs every Monday morning at 9.30. If you missed any part of today's show or want to revisit it, you can find the episode posted on Elim Counseling Services' YouTube channel. Just search for Life Transformation and subscribe to stay updated on all our latest content. We also like to take a moment to remind you that the Life Transformation and Elim Counseling Services are part of a not-for-profit organization that depends on your support to continue helping individuals, couples, and families in their journey toward healing and transformation. Thank you for joining us today on the Life Transformation Show. I'm your co-host, Denise Hart. And Michael Hart. And together we pray that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.